Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. But uh, Eric, it's awesome to see you, and it's great to have the subscribers back on. Apologies that we haven't done one of these in a while, guys. I see you out there in, in San Diego, Mike. You're uh, you're an OG on here, so <laughs> th- thanks for not forgetting about about us. Uh, but man, it's Eric. It's great to get the party started with you. Um, I mean, it, you don't need an introduction. This Buffalo Bills legend, Pro Bowler. You felt the magnetic pull to Eric in that locker room, man. The stories for day. You and Richie. It was either one of you guys that's in the media. It was just like, all right, the work's done. Let's just shoot the bowl a little bit. I was going to uh, say, now you've joined the dark side. Yeah. I was going to say, if you wanted, if you wanted something inappropriate, you went right next door to Richie's locker. If you wanted something you could write about, come over to my locker. Yeah. Yeah. Richie, he pushed the boundaries a little bit. He did one of these, but we couldn't post it. He asked us not to uh, share it anywhere. Understandably. So for those who were on it, but, uh, no oh, man. Down. Well, I guess I can't ask. Well, no, you can ask. Hey, it's uh, well, I mean, hey, you could probably share some of the same stories, like Rex training camp, maybe throwing a few few too many beers back during the week that that he shouldn't, and then he got into uh, God, the stuff. I'm trying to remember what he said and what he didn't. He got into the Jonathan Martin stuff like after the fact because we were actually hanging out down in Phoenix. I was there for another story. We were getting dinner and that's when uh, Jonathan Martin put out the uh, Instagram post, like threatening Richie's life, which was, it was insane. And it was real. I mean, it was like a, Richie, like went through the play-by-play of what went down. He, he left the restaurant right in that moment, took off. And I believe he said like the FBI got involved. He was on lockdown. Everything thankfully was okay. And Right, and that's, of that's where, like, when you see that all come out afterwards, you think maybe Richie wasn't, maybe he became the fall guy in Miami, and they got him pretty good. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't, and and obviously Richie says some things that he wishes he could take back, but, like, yeah. that was, what, 2010? There wasn't a cancel culture. You could still, like, bust someone's chops, and it was it was okay. I mean, you got, it's all in context, right? Like in a football locker room, I mean, it's right. You, he said things he should not have said. This doesn't absolve like everything that, I mean, Richie would be the first to say that he is inappropriate and crazy and, you know, whatever. But like in the context of a locker room, I mean, things are going to be said that you just would never say out in the real world. I don't know. 
it's no doubt about like it. That kind part, of part, of life. The, part of the reason is because you're going to battle with these guys and you get so close that you're comfortable in those situations. But then when you oh, have yeah. someone like Jonathan Martin, yeah. whose parents and his mom, especially is a workplace harassment attorney, he apparently wanted to get out of football. Well, then Richie becomes public enemy number one, which I mean, if you went through, I don't want people to start doing this, but if you went through every O-line group message throughout the league in that year, like when that happened, we were all goofing around like, oh my gosh, if they go through all of our texts, like our wives aren't even going to know us. Like just because it's, it's, and I guess they weren't called memes back then, but it would just be like different pictures or whatever it may be like, oh, so-and-so looks like whoever, you know, they're probably ribbing me about bad sand or something or other, you know, it's like, we ripped each other so hard that you could have canceled the Bills offensive line that year. Sure. Exactly. It's like, I mean, what kind of world do we want to live in when we're just sifting through everybody's private life all the time? And like, and I'd love for your take on this, like as somebody who kind of, I mean, you know, Tom Brady and, you know, and, you know, Richie, like when all the Washington email stuff kind of went down, I'm thinking like, okay, well, we got full reports, like the full investigation, all, everything that was found became public to everybody, but not this, like this, this, this doesn't because they're, they're protecting people. Like it's selective. Yeah. I mean, to me, it seemed like just a pure, I heard it said like, this This isn't my original language, but a public assassination of Gruden, like they Someone in the league office or someone that was intertwined in that trial decided we are going to take out John Gruden because you want to tell me that you went through everybody's emails and text messages and it was only Gruden. It was only him. But now, and as soon as they take out Gruden, then it becomes this literal act of Congress that now none of the other information from the case can be revealed. It's unbelievable. 600,000 emails and he's the only one that, uh, it was problematic. Exactly. So sounds reasonable. <laughs> that's that's the NFL though, right? I mean, they operate above the law, above what we would consider normal, and they're just going to win. They always win. So, man. Well, anyways, Eric, just the way we kind of do these is we, we just shoot the bull and let people uh, ask you whatever they want to ask if that's cool. So, but what, what, are you, what are you up to these days? Like, how's well, I was life? Just gonna say, so this is a just like an open Zoom. Oh yeah, yep. It's just kind of a free for all. I don't really, uh, I don't really have many rules. <laughs> it's just everybody is pretty cordial, and you know, I want to say, you know, we had Alan Robinson on one, and there were a lot of people in there. And at that point, we kind of had to have a little, uh, I don't know, raising of hands and whatnot. But for the most part, you know, everybody can just fire away and drink some beers. You got, do you have something there? I know you were kind of contemplating between one or the other. Who, me? Mm -hmm. As far as what, like what, what direction we're going? No, you, you said you, you were telling me you were thinking between beer or tequila or something when we were texting. Oh yeah. 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 I went, um, little tequila action. We got an ugly Christmas sweater party tonight. Probably drink a bunch of beer there. So I figured out tequila, little Casamigos. No, I was going to mix it, so I did uh, just Patron and soda and lime. I mean, my number one tequila, so I, I saw the question about bourbon. So I'm in bourbon country. I got probably, I don't know, a thousand bottles of bourbon in my basement here. 
Um, hopefully no one has my address because what bourbon's <laughs> worth nowadays. But um, anyways, I've gotten on a tequila kick. And for me, it, you don't feel as bad the next day. It's a cleaner buzz. But like my number one is Clase Azul, which now you can't find that anywhere. All right, guys, so you guys can come here and say hi. So this is Grace. Hi. No, Daddy's working, so we can't. Garrett, come say hi. All right. Uh, if you guys follow me on social media, you've seen this dude. But this is my mini me. I love it. Garrett, who's your who's your favorite football player? Yes, Allen. Did you hear that? There it is. I love Josh it. Josh Allen. Are we gonna see him sometime soon? Hope so. Are we going to beat the Patriots? Heck yeah, we don't lose to the Patriots anymore, do we? No. No. All right. <laughs> what does this do? This is the microphone. Oh. All right. You guys go upstairs, okay? All right. Well, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so I've gotten on a big tequila kick lately, but now, like, you can't find Clase Azul anywhere. You can't find Don Julio 1942. Like, all the good tequilas now are all getting bought up, just like many of the bourbons and whatnot. I can't believe how much bourbon's going for like i was telling you it was with wyatt teller last week and he doesn't have as much as you but he had one uh pappy uh like a 12 year reserve 1600 bucks for like a thin bottle unbelievable okay. i i i did me and richie split a barrel of blantons and so i got maybe 120 some of those we ended up paying 58 bucks a piece for them when we did it at my charity event in buffalo i auctioned off two of them so you got both of them I think it went for three grand. I mean, it's nuts. It's insane. But like anything, if you can't get it, it's worth what anybody will pay for it. So, um, and then those are rare because they have like the sticker has me and Richie's face on it. So it's a little different. But even then, I'm like, I mean, I feel bad, but here you go. It's all go all the money's going to a good place. It's true. Exactly. So uh, yeah, what's what's your feeling on um on this weekend, Eric? I mean, everybody in Buffalo here they're pretty worried. It's kind of uh, I don't know, not not quite gloom and doom, but I think uh, a lot of fans are wondering um, like are the are, are the Patriots really really done? Because yeah, it, I mean, it sure looks like they're just recharging, reloading, and they're going to dominate for another two decades. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was ready for the Patriots to be down for at least a few years. Like, how do we let Mac Jones fall to them at 16 and give them like their Brady replacement. Perfect to fit into that uh, Josh McDaniels offense. But regardless, I understand that everyone in Buffalo is maybe anxious about the game, but, but to be worried, like Buffalo is a favorite here. We got maybe the best roster in the league. And I understand that the last four games haven't been perfect. But that's, that's mainly been turnovers. Turnovers is something that you can control yourselves. It's not like, and I understand Indy ran the ball down their throats, but they were able to run the ball down their throats because the Bills had three first-half possessions, and one of them was a two-minute drill because of a fumbled kickoff return and an interception by Josh Allen, and you're out star, and you're out Tremaine in that game. Like, all those things considered, yes, you got the ball ran down your throat, but it was kind of the perfect storm. Going back and looking at some of that film, there was – excellent play calls that hit bills blitzes perfectly and they were not checked like i'm not giving carson wentz credit for those those were fortunately timed calls that just ended up working out perfect all that being said i'm not 
I'm not worried about Monday night. It's a huge game, especially when you consider that, you know, you got two games against New England that probably decide the division, and this is our one at home. So you need to get this one. But that being said, um, like when you get those anxious feelings, like that's what makes sports fun. Like if you knew the Bills were going to go out and roll every single week, that's not fun. I was I was having a conversation with Terry Pagula before, I think it was the Jets game, because we just dropped the Jacksonville game, and. He said, you know, I'm just a little bit nervous about this one. I said, Terry, that's what makes sports fun, bud. You know, that's that's what makes it fun. And so uh, it's going to be an incredible atmosphere. Uh, should be a, it's looking like a wintry mix for game time. So it'll be a ton of fun. Wintry mix, but I feel like this team, I mean, that's kind of like the debate now with the new stadium. They're almost kind of built best for a dome, right? Like, is that, does that really help? I, Maybe we're overthinking it here, but I feel like if it's windy and it's snowy and they're already calling for like hellacious conditions, kind of plays into the hands of the team that wants to run and play defense and has, you know, Mac Jones kind of caretaking things. No, you're you're exactly right. You know, the way we're built right now, it seems like the windy games affect our downfield throwing, which allow those safeties to, even though they're in a two shell, to creep up because the deep ball so hard to throw when that wind's whipping in the stadium. And it's almost like when you get on a golf course and you like throw the leaves up and you or throw some grass up and you're like, wait, which way is it going now? I feel like it's swirling. That's the bill stadium. Like the entire time you're out there, you're like, I know the flags are whipping that way, but it sure feels like it's kind of blowing this way. And so it can be tough to judge, but you know, looking at the matchup, I mean, the Patriots have a good run game. And they don't get run production from the quarterback. Now, they will get their receivers involved on some jet sweeps and whatnot. But what do they average? 4.1 yards per carry on the season? Like, that's not a daunting number. What they've done lately is, though, they've just, you know, Mac Jones doesn't throw a lot of incompletions. And they've just kept kept the chains moving. And then they've been forcing an astronomical amount of turnovers. They force um, turnovers per possession the most in the league. So, you hold on to the football against them. You make them try to start making some plays. You get up on them early. I think it's a game that the Bills could smoke them. Now you fall behind, let them play clock control, and you don't make the plays offensively. You turn the ball over. That could be a different story. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll roll with Vegas on this one. I, I think the Bills are going to get them. I think the Bills have more experienced playmakers, you know, and and, you know, for the longest time, the Patriots had all the guys that were a part of this winning culture. Well, the coaching staff for the Patriots had been a part of it forever, but not a lot of the guys had key positions for them. And those are great points all around. I know, uh, and also, it, obviously, everybody can just kind of shout out whenever, but there, if you want to raise your hand in the on the side there, too. I forgot we got that. Joe's got his hand up. What's happening, Joe? Hey, what's up, man? Hey, Eric, how you doing today? What's up, dude? Hey, not much. Question. You you may have alluded to this on a podcast with Tyler, and I was a little bit confused, so maybe if you want to air this out. What happened in your retirement speech? Like, I'm still confused to this day, like, why you couldn't say you retired and all that stuff. Like, what happened with that? And is there, like, a little bit of a disappointment for you that you never got, like, that retirement? Like, you can thank Fitz, you can thank Stevie Johnson or your family? Because that was, like, the weirdest thing. I remember watching that on, like, at work, and I'm like, what is going it was like i can't talk goodbye i'm like you know what what happened with that like behind the scenes like on that day and uh 
you know, and if you, you wish you could still have that, I mean, maybe you could have it. You should do a zoom like retirement press conference and we get, there we go. We get everyone, Perfect. we get, get fits <laughs> on here. We get tied to ask you questions and it's a retirement zoom, but like, anyways, yeah, what happened that day? That, that's not a bad idea. And if this was still COVID times, I'd be down for that, but um, I'm ready for in-person gathering. So let's do like a party at a bar or rent. Yes. But no, I, I'm with you. I, I mean, one of the disappointments of my career is that I truly never got to kind of celebrate it at the end because for five months, I couldn't say I was retiring because then I'm no longer injury disqualified, which would have affected a lot of money. And, you know, I signed a contract extension before the season. I would have lost out on all my guaranteed money, all my injury guarantee if I was retiring, but I was physically disqualified at the very last second. The NFLPA got very concerned that anything I said that the Bills could use that against me, which I have a great relationship with the Bills and still do. I did then and I still do to this day. But their biggest, the NFLPA's biggest concern, which and I understand completely because it truly is a business that if I said anything that like thank yous, well, that sounds a lot like you're retiring. Um, if I would have accidentally said retirement, if I would have said, you know, I'll no longer be with this organization. Whatever I would have said could have been used against me. So they basically scripted up something that I could say just because this press conference was there. And honestly, if kids that our foundation had worked with in the past, if kids hadn't taken off school and come out there for this, and if family and friends didn't fly in from all over the country, I probably would have just canceled it. But I felt so bad. I felt like maybe we should just give them something. Looking back, we should all just went to the big tree, let the kids come in too, and just had a good time in there. But at the time, it felt right to do it. And, you know, it was it was very unfortunate. It was extremely disappointing for me, though, because, you know, not that I had anything in my notes to say that I'm retiring. There was a lot of thank yous, though. And so for me, and it's kind of a running joke in our household too, like when my wife's actually going to throw me a retirement party, but it is what it is. Can I ask why couldn't the bills, and again, I'm not a, a lawyer or anything. Why couldn't they just send you like send the players association, something that says like, Hey, we, he can, he can, he will avoid that out of the contract. So he can say this, like, why didn't they do that? And also did you, did they ever approach you? Cause this was 2018, right? That's when you retired. Yeah. Did early you think, 2018. Yeah, did you think, did you at all think about asking them, hey, can we do this six months later? Like, we do a real one. Like, you yeah. know, I mean, whatever. Like, I mean, Fitz, Fitz has money. He can fly out again, you know, or or something like that. Like, did you, like, why didn't they do that? And did you think about, like, hey, let's just do this for real this time six months from now? No, and maybe I should have. I, I Sometimes I don't have a lot of nerve in those situations to ask. And since they didn't offer, I didn't bring it up. But um, it's a great question, Joe, honestly, um, about why the bills didn't do anything. And the main reason, and I've, I've never been asked this before, and I've been asked a lot of questions about it. So congrats. That, that's a great question. And basically, the NFLPA did try to get them to sign something. The Pagoulas were not in town. And Brandon Bean was like, look, it's not my money. Like, I can't lawyer here. Like, I am not able to. Like this press conference, we're already late and I'm not like the one that can make the decision to sign something like that. Like we would need Overdorf, the contract guy. We would need the Pagoulas. We would need, um, I think Russ Brandon was still with the team. Um, 
himself. Like he's like, that's, that's not practical in this moment, but that's, that's an awesome question. It's such a great question. Cause it's like, I would think that's an easy signature for Terry Pagula to sign. Like it, it's like the, the, it shouldn't even be a debate. It shouldn't be a discussion. Like if, if they were to ever try to jip you out of that money, I mean, the uproar, there, there'd be people at the stadium and pitchforks. It just, and it, yeah. it, it was so cringy. It put you in a terrible spot. It put the team in a weird spot. And you never had that moment to celebrate your career, your life. Like, I feel like there's celebrations for everybody in every sport, every level now. And you're a dude who spent a decade losing in Buffalo, going through all the, the brutal, brutal years. You bust through. You're a big reason that the team finally busted through. And you don't get that moment. I think everybody was kind of feeling for you in the city. I know. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate those words too. I always think like maybe if one day I could make the ring of honor, like that would, you know, we could do something like that. I, I, I did make it into university of Louisville's hall of fame right here. There's that guy. And, uh, um, nice. and, but when, when, when I went in their hall of fame, now there wasn't people from all over the country, like there was for that, or like there would be, if it was a true retirement deal, but, um, I did get to say some thank yous and whatnot there which was which was special yeah that seems like a good compromise yeah just put my name up there well, well no no hard feelings i gotta think that happens then <laughs> i know in in like i would have played football for as long as i could have and so who knows where my career would have ended up i'm not saying i would have been a hall of famer but for me yeah. probably like the pinnacle at this point would be ring of honor I'm, I'm trying to think of what else there would be beyond that like as far as athletic achievement probably the ring of honor in Buffalo. We'll see how that all shakes out one day. Start the campaign, Tyler. Well, we, we got to have the uh, retirement party. I like that. Maybe we do it at HBC, get Monus involved and Hey, we could, we could do it. Yeah. Where's Monus. I thought he was going to be on here. I know it. Yeah. He, uh, he's traveling. I think he's going to see family or something this weekend. So we'll, we'll give him hell. We'll make him feel guilty. Not nice. sure. But, uh, but yeah, if anybody, uh, has any questions just let it rip is monos going to be is monos going to the xfl with whaley and russ i'm not at liberty to answer these questions at this time so okay <laughs> actually I, I i honestly don't know but i think there's probably some dots to connect there right like they were like i got a question for you, for a while. Eric. yeah i got a question for you eric how you doing yeah. good how you doing roger Good. Uh, I like that uh, picture of Ali over your shoulder there. I oh, appreciate it. Louisville yeah, I got, a, I got a great one of him and Bob Dylan uh, in the 70s mm -hmm. backstage at Madison Square Garden, kind of chopping wow. it up together. So that's a that's pride possession by the TV. Um, let me ask you this, and I'm not going to call it a renaissance, but what is, what is your uh, uh, take on the resurgence of the running game in the league? It, you know, I know the Eagles are doing it. The Patriots um, – are really committed to that. The 49ers, I mean, I know it's kind of in Kyle Shanahan's DNA, but he's coming up with some crazy stuff. Like Debo Samuel is a, like a, a far tailback and then running, you know, down the sidelines. And but and it, and it seems to be something that the Bills aren't built for to stop. And with the Patriots, that play last week, I think it was a jet sweep to Kendrick Bourne, or maybe it was a short pass, but um, they're just a massively uh, – very, very good at assignment football, and especially blocking downfield in the second level, and even the third level in that play. Um, what do you think about the trend here? Because it seems like defenses like the Bills uh, have gone a little bit lighter and faster to deal with, like, Kansas City and teams like that, and it seems like 
uh, a lot of teams around the league said, okay, we're going to beef up up front until you prove that you have the beef and you can fill the gaps to stop us. We're going to keep doing it. Um, you see this trend like I do, or what do you think? Yeah, and, and to me, and that's a great question. To me, everything's cyclical. So, um, like, early in my career, the Patriots were obviously – they were they were the most consistent franchise in the league. Well, the hardest thing to stop about them was their dual tight end sets with Hernandez and Gronk. So uh, teams drafted athletic linebackers, bigger safeties, guys that could cover those guys. You often had to play them in nickel personnel, so you maybe needed a bigger nickel player, you added a safety, whatever it may be. You built your team to stop the Patriots, especially if you were in the AFC, because that's who you had to beat to, to get to the Super Bowl. Well, the last three years, AFC Championship game, Kansas City Chiefs. And to stop the Kansas City Chiefs, you need more speed on your defense. You've got to be able to rush the passer. You've got to be able to play man coverage on the outside. And so everyone got a little bit smaller. Everyone started playing nickel. And a lot of these high-powered offenses, shoot, a few years ago, the Patriots were a pretty high-powered offense. But so everyone got lighter to stop those. And then you see a Derrick Henry at 250 pounds, and he can run over your defense. And I think everything comes in waves in this league. You also just, you know, I think if some of those teams like Tennessee, they drafted Derrick Henry and then said, well, shoot, let's get really physical. And that, that models the uh, kind of temperament of their head coach as well. But for the most part, you're playing to A, your personnel that you have and who's healthy, and then B, offensively that is, and then B, you're trying to catch whoever's at the top. Like this Bills defense is built to beat Kansas City, and they beat them earlier this year. Now you might have some trouble start stopping the run if you're really never going to play base defense, which I think if you go back to that indie game and Tremaine Edmonds is healthy, then maybe you put A.J. Klein on the, on the field and get three linebackers on the field with – Tremaine Edmonds out. I don't know that you put Dotson, uh, Smith, or any of those guys in the game in that situation. All that being said, it's a great question. Everything kind of goes cyclical in this league. If the Patriots, Titans, if it's a if it's a Patriots, Titans, AFC Championship game, God forbid, it would drive me nuts. But the the Vrabel Belichick storylines would just be too much for me to even handle. But <laughs> then you'll likely see teams start to get a little bit bigger again. It is, and how does a team structurally through the draft and free agency uh, create kind of a hybrid kind of team that can adjust uh, and be a little bit ahead of the curve? Because now we're going to the more run oriented where a lot of these teams are giving them trouble. Um, you're committed to lighter and faster for the Kansas city offense and others like it. Um, that's one thing that impresses me about Belichick. It really does, and it always has, is he gets a lot of versatile guys. They can do a lot of different things. He does, they, do, they can do what he asks them to do. Um, how do you stay ahead of this as the organization? Like you said, it's cyclical. Uh, it could be two years from now we're talking about, uh, you know, everyone's throwing 50 times a game. Um, as an organization, I mean, how hard is it even possible to do that? Yeah, I think it's possible, and that's, that's another great question. I, think, I definitely think it's possible. And I'd like to hear Tyler uh, weigh in on this as well, but I definitely think it's possible. Now, the longer you have a coach and a system in place and you're drafting players to your system 
and you get everybody that's kind of learning under the same umbrella, I think you can then build a team that's kind of a hybrid. If you're mixing back and forth between a 3-4 and a 4-3 and a Jim Swartz wide nine rush the edge and then back to a Pet and a Rex, whatever it may be, like I think it's very hard to build a hybrid defense because you're not drafting under that same coaching staff the entire time. I think the Bills are honestly pretty close. They're not far off. Now, when you have a 285, 90-pound defensive tackle in Ed Oliver, who's actually playing really well, he doesn't add a whole lot of size up there. When you're out your nose guard, Starlo Tulele, and you only have one of those guys who's like truly physically imposing. Like I said this recently on One Bills Live, but if I was looking at the Bills defense, and I understand I played center, so I kind of look inside out. But if I'm looking at the Bills defense, the two most physically imposing players on that defense are Starlin Tule and Tremaine Edmonds. They're both out in the indie game. Like, those are your two guys that, because Star can actually rush the passer pretty well as, as well. And so, those are your two guys who, you know, Tremaine 6'5", 250. Star 6'4", he's listed at like 305. Nuh-uh. I've stood next to him. That dude's bigger than 305, I'm telling you. And uh, that's like Will Fork when he was always listed at 325. I blocked him. He wasn't 325 pounds. That being said, I think the Bills are pretty close. You know, I think if Vernon Butler was more of a playmaker at his size, then you could put Star and Butler on the field. And that's why you brought him in at 330 pounds because you thought, okay, at times we could put those two D tackles in there. But when you miss in free agency on a Butler, that really hurts you. And I, I say that, and I've kind of piggybacking what Leslie Frazier said about Butler a couple weeks ago, and he was inactive the last game. And you got guys that are close on the edge, but I think, you know, Rousseau's got to get a little bit more meat on his frame to where you got guys that can both defend the pass and the run. Oh, I think you're right, Eric. I mean, it's hard to even – blame Buffalo and I know I've been pretty critical of like the way they're built but I, I do get it you know it kind of even started two three years ago when they you know they trade Wyatt Teller who we just talked to for a story where it's like all right you think that the game is going to backyard football improvisational quarterbacks all the second reaction stuff I mean you watch Mahomes and Allen and Kyler Murray and what all these guys are doing like that's the direction you want to go lighter faster more athletic but uh, I guess that's why that's why the NFL is king. It's like there's smart offensive minds that are like, all right, fuck it. We're just going to unleash a 250-pound running back and run it down your throat. And there, there are a handful of teams that, like, you look at what New England did now last spring, and it's like Belichick saw this coming before everybody else. Like, oh, I'll just get by on a rookie contract at quarterback, and I'll just go sign all these dogs all over the place and win that way. So – I we'll see who's in the AFC championship game. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me still if like, if Josh Allen goes out there Monday, regardless of the weather and, and goes nuts, like, like yeah. Mahomes is kind of doing too, but I, I think there is something to it. Like, I, I don't know if the bills are really built inside out to like go into that back alley brawl with the Patriots or the Titans when they're at full strength, those kind of teams. Right. And, and, and and I think you're spot on. I think, and go all the way back, Roger, and one, I got to ask you, were you drinking water out of that mason jar or moonshine? Because that was a heck of a chug. <laughs> water. I got to drive uh, the wife and her friend around. They, she drove me and my buddy to the, the Miami game, and she hung out and drank water and coffee. Well, <laughs> we didn't. 
Put it that gotcha. way. So I'm returning. I was going to say that was night. a heck of a swig. And where I'm from, generally out of the mason jar, something clear and it's not water. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. I'll, I'll say this, though. A good defensive line and a couple good corners is probably about as hybrid as you can get as far as being under the salary cap. You know, you look at New England, Pittsburgh, like teams that are consistent over the years. It's like, do you have guys that can rush the passer and are disruptive? And then do you got a couple guys that can cover on the outside? Then you could probably beat that hybrid. Well, that in mind, Eric, do you think that the Bills D-line is, you know, up to that challenge? Because I look at that the D-line and I, I think that's, if anything, I'm critical of Brandon Bean. It's how he's handled the defensive line. He's put a lot of assets and it's just kind of, Eh, okay. They're just kind of okay. And for all the assets that they've spent on it, you know, I think that's his black mark maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easier said than done, but, and those guys get really expensive, especially if you bring them in a free agency. But like, in my mind, give me one Aaron Donald as opposed to eight pretty good players. Like when I look across the bills, defensive line, I think that there's a lot of good football players. Yeah. A lot of good ones. And there's not one that you have to truly game plan around. Ed Oliver's actually getting pretty close. I think he makes some bonehead plays that time, and I don't know that his awareness is grace. great. Like, I want Ed to get away from – like, when you see the quarterback throw, like, dive out of the way. Like, quit getting roughing the passer penalties. But I think Ed's actually getting pretty close to a guy that you game plan around. But other than that, there's nobody on the Bills D-line where you're like, okay, if it's third and 10 and they're definitely not blitzing, okay, we have to slide the line to T.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, you name them. Like, the Bills don't have that guy. Now, there's plenty of teams that don't. I think the Bills, what they do have is they have eight guys and they could roll them in and they stay fresh and maybe through really nine guys. But when you – over the course of a season, including the playoffs, maybe that pays off for them because they have so many quality players. But I, I, I do think it hurts them at times that there's just not one stud up there. Yeah. That's where it might have been smart, you know, in free agency, just because they haven't drafted. I mean, they've drafted okay on the D line, but there's some questionable picks in there. Like to say, right, we know that this dude is, is going to get. 12 to 15 sacks just just pay for him because there were a lot of pass rushers they could have gotten I don't it's all hindsight but you're right there isn't that one player that really strikes a lot of a lot of fear in you and they've got a lot of money and they've got a lot of high picks so they're gonna need somebody to bust out I, I anytime I hear Ed Oliver I just think of him I don't know what it was what heartbreaking playoff loss it was I don't know if it was Houston or Kansas City when the plane landed and he sticks his head out of the window and he's like a triumphant hero returns home I'm like I get it. It's got to be nice to see the fans, but he's, he's pretty happy a day after this excruciating loss. Come on, Ed. What's going on here? Right. I, I hear you. And and that would rub me pretty raw, too. And, and I don't know him personally, but just for a young guy, I think it probably hurts him that he never got to, like, truly play with a Kyle Williams. I don't know what type of guy star is, but, he you know, he hasn't been a captain since he's been in Buffalo. Maybe he's not, like, that guy to, like, really push – Ed along, but yeah, to me, when you like our one top 10 draft pick along that defensive line is Ed, 
Like, that's got to be the guy that teams have to game plan around. Hey, Eric, uh, question about the offensive line. Cordy Ford seems like he's just been really struggling, like, the last couple of years. I just wanted to know, and this is just my theory, and it could be completely wrong, and maybe you can add to this. Switching him from tackle, where I felt in college that's where he made his, like, his bones. That's where he, he got drafted. To guard might have been a mistake and i don't know if you and i know you you came in the league you were a guard they had you at guard for a couple years then they moved to center like do you at all feel that's that could be a situation for why he's been struggling is for the switch and maybe if your own experience like do you like like how was that switch for you and that couldn't that be a difficult transition to make you know from a guy going from tackle to guard it's definitely tough i think it's easier going from outside in than it is inside out. I had this conversation with Jeff Saturday. It'll post this upcoming Wednesday. He was on my podcast. But we had that conversation because he played guard early in his career. It's harder for centers to go out than it is for tackles to come into guard. It's if, if you if you kind of had that anchor in you and then you move in, generally you have faster feet at tackle. It, everything kind of just you get them in a phone booth, it feels easier in pass protection. That being said, I I think some of Cody Ford's issues are, or one of his biggest is this year, is he seems slow-footed. Like he's not reacting well. And look, the Bills' offense at times is not very O-line friendly. And that's fine. Like you have great weapons on the outside. You play to the strength of your talent. We talked about it earlier with defense. Offensively, if you're the Bills, like yes, you want to be effective in the run game and keep teams honest, but between your four receivers and Dawson Knox and Josh Allen, like, spread the ball out but when the team when teams know you're you're passing the ball it becomes that's a tough assignment in the nfl and cody ford's been exposed because he's not a great pass protector he's more of a road grader and i you know it just it just hasn't worked well now he is coming off of a knee injury last year i could tell you that even when you're on the field coming off a surgery and a serious knee injury sometimes you're not always 100 percent out there even if he's not on the injury report so, I don't know if this is the end of the road for Cody Ford in Buffalo. It sure seems like it. But, you know, Cody Ford's quality depth right now, and he's on a rookie contract. There's a lot of teams in this league that wish they had Cody Ford backing up their guard spots. Second round pick, though, you know? I mean, that would be a pretty big miss. You're, you're expecting more. And they traded um, up for him. That's right. Yeah. Forgot about that. I announced the pick. Did you really? You announced yeah, that down one. In, down in Nashville. So we, we got to blame you. I mean, you were like the last line of defense. So. I know. I could have called it off. No. And, and honestly, Sorry. I mean, O-linemen are tough to project nowadays. Coming out yeah. of college because the offenses don't look all that similar. Defensive linemen aren't that good. Guys are coming out younger and younger. It's just, it's a lot tougher. Wyatt Teller was saying that even like weight training has changed. Like he was uh, at Virginia tech and had kind of an old school strength coach. So like they're throwing around heavy weights, you know, power lifts, but he had heard kind of like looking around the landscape with all these spread offenses, like even the way they're sculpting and building offensive line, it's more for speed in that kind of game. So it's, I don't know, again, it kind of creates that op- opening for a team to, punch you in the mouth and, and play that kind of that kind of kind of way yeah I'll, I'll say this we I've seen some guys come in from big schools and you can tell that they don't train that hard in the weight room anymore is you're that right Ohio State your Clemson's 
Like those guys are big time recruits and they don't want to be bossed around. They might not work that hard in the weight room. And then they come to the NFL and the bills strength staff, like we still push some weight and you know, Siano came from Georgia tech. He's still there with the bills. He does a great job and he pushes you pretty hard, which the bills have been great from an injury standpoint, you know, and, and I think he does a good job. And so some of those guys are in for a little culture shock when they get to the NFL and it's even harder than they were in college. Cause oftentimes you think it'd be the opposite. Like, Oh, when you're young, they trained real hard, get you to the league. And then it's kind of just staying where you're at. Some of those guys are in for a wake up call. Eric, I got a question about um, locker rooms. Uh, you've obviously been in a bunch of them. Has there ever been a moment where you felt like a coach lost the locker room in your career, like in terms and like, how does that happen? Like, cause you always hear it. Like, uh, like media people will talk about fans like, Oh, he lost the locker room. Like how did, has that happened to you while as a bill, whether it was like Jerron or it could have been an assistant coach. I don't know. But like, were there moments you felt like, yeah, like this dude lost the locker room and it's a disaster or, or anything like that. No, not necessarily. And that's a great question. Um, not necessarily. We probably didn't give coaches long enough uh, to stick around for them to lose the locker room, truly. You know what I mean? Where we were like, why do we keep this guy? The Bills cut ties pretty quick while I was there. I had now two were interims, but I had seven head coaches in nine years. And so um, none of them truly lost the locker room. Now, not everybody was a crowd favorite. And I'll say probably Marone because he kind of came from that Coughlin tree. But that doesn't mean he lost the locker room. He just he was more get under your skin a little bit, call you out. Everybody else was kind of a, hey, we're all pros. We're all in this together. You call me by my first name. Like, we're all men here. Like, we're going to treat each other like men. And now there's accountability. And, you know, like Sean McDermott's not going to dog cuss you like he like a college coach might or your high school coach. Heck, I, it looks like we're all – about of similar generation here. I'm sure we've all been cussed out by a coach in our life that nowadays would be a Twitter sensation. But um, <laughs> like most coaches in the NFL are like, hey, we're pros. So I was talking to Sean McDermott. Like Sean McDermott is great with accountability, but he enforces accountability based upon playing time. You look at Isaiah McKenzie, Vernon Butler, Zach Moss, all healthy scratches for the last game. Like, that's how Sean McDermott gets his message across. They get their message across because they they might bring more guys, definitely more than any other staff I've been around, bringing guys in for workouts where they come and get changed in your locker room on Tuesdays and you see the guys that are trying out for your job. Like, there's a lot of accountability there. And, really? Oh, yeah. I mean – A lot of guys are on those. That's that's the reality of the, of the league. There's always someone ready to take your spot if, if you're not stepping up. So – you know, when I was in college, honestly, we went from Bobby Petrino to Steve Craigthorpe, and everyone loved Craigthorpe at first because he was so cool. And then we sucked, and everyone's like, well, maybe this dude, maybe maybe it was more fun when Bobby Petrino was here and we were getting cussed out every day and practices were grueling because we actually won. Like, maybe that's what we needed. And so that was probably as close as I've seen someone lose a locker room. Uh, just a question to, to dovetail on uh, uh, the previous question there. What would you say? Now, you've been in the media for a few years now, but uh, when in your playing days, what is the percentage of accuracy that the media had 
describing a team's psychological state. Like they said, oh, well, they, you know, the, the coach has lost the team or this team doesn't seem confident. Did you guys used to sit there and if, and if you did listen to this, just laugh at each other and like, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Or were you saying like, wow, that's kind of close. Uh, what would you say the percentage would be? Mm, I'm trying to think back to a specific time, but I would say generally where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and Ty knows this, like a lot of really high media members generally have players on the inside or they have assistant GMs that want you to put them on their top 10 GM candidates at the end of the year. So they'll give you the real scoop and um, maybe it's dramatized a little bit, but generally there's some validity there. I'm trying to think back. I mean, honestly, we we weren't that good throughout my time with the bill. So there wasn't like that much to report on. If that makes I thought, sense. You know I, mean? I thought, I thought during the Rex years, that's when there was a lot of drama. 2015 yeah, like, was crazy. Like Ty's got a lot, like he's got a notebook full of stuff. I remember he wrote about like, there's just be like some infighting and like, you know, not infighting. That's kind of over dramatic, but I kind of remember that being like where players and coaches, like they were like leaked, like stuff was getting out. Like, this coach like Greg Roman like the whole thing with Greg Roman like he got fired and I remember that happening I was like I didn't understand that at all I mean you were there what actually yeah, yeah we, what happened with Greg Roman like he got canned after they scored like 30 points <laughs> I know I know and that was that's one time that but like Rex was so great and he's a I mean Rex could sell if Rex wasn't in, in football and media Rex could be the best salesman in the country I mean he's like if Rex hopped on this Zoom right now, like me included, put myself on mute and just listen to Rex. I mean, he's got that gift. So he can kind of sell anything. I think there was some, I mean, that, him and Greg were going to butt heads. That wasn't, that. Greg wasn't Rex's hire. That was the that was the Pagula's and management's hire. Like they said, Rex, we want to bring you in, but we want Greg Roman as our OC. So we're going to make this work. Anthony Lynn was Rex's guy. So like as much as maybe we didn't agree with it, it wasn't like we didn't see where he was coming from. Like, Hey, we're Owen two. Like at least let me lose with my guys. If I can make the decision here. And when you promote Anthony Lynn, it wasn't like we didn't have like a Lynn is a great leader, a great coach. So we had him on staff. So it made it a little bit better. Man, that was a fun year, though. I mean, maybe not as a player, because it's it starts with that Colts win. I mean, remember Guinness Book of World Records? They came to that Patriots game. It was like the expectations were through the roof. And with, I mean, Rex was just great to cover because it was like he let you guys be yourselves. So there was no just vague cliche. It, it just wasn't a bunch of dribble, and there was open locker room, which was nice too. But the the highs were really high, and the lows were really low. It felt like every week. Like even at the press conference, you could see on Rex's face, like he could be like just ready to run through a wall or he would just be depressed. And you can see why the pendulum swung back to McDermott, who's just going to stay right there week to week. And, and yeah, it was kind of needed. I don't know. Yeah. And if you're looking at it from the Bills perspective, like, okay, we got to sell tickets. I'll never forget. We had the longest playoff drought in all of professional sports that we were playing in. And we set a season ticket holder record in the same stadium that the early 90s Bills played in. 
in the same stadium with more expensive seats. Like, that's what a Rex Ryan effect can do and bring in free agents. And, you know, you got Russ Brandon who could sell ketchup popsicles. You know, it's like he, you know, you, they, they could build it all up and they did a good job of it. I'll say this about that week two game against uh, New England. Um, and I remember, and it was great for the media and the national media, local media as well. Uh, you know, and he's saying, they all, you know, we're not afraid of the Patriots. Uh, some teams are down 7 nothing when the bus shows up with the Patriots in them. I just remember him talking and talking. I'm like, okay, this is all well and good. And I'm like, but this is really not the team to talk about. Uh, when you act, it's great to sell tickets, but getting on the field. I'll never forget, I think it was Brady on Wednesday or his media availability day. And they asked him about it. I just remember him. Just looking at the reporter going, yeah, yeah, we know where Orchard Park is. We'll be there on Sunday. And I looked at my wife and said, uh-oh, this is yeah. not going to turn out well. I'll say this. I'll say this. And, and I'm with you, and I see your point 100%, Roger. But Rex was trying to instill a confidence in a team that didn't have any confidence and came from Marone and Gailey and Jerron that weren't inspiring. And and. So Rex was trying to like basically instill confidence in a group that didn't yet know how to win. And I'll say this, if anything, we were just way too charged up for that game. Like we had three personal fouls in the first quarter. Like Rex was basic. Rex basically had us like, we were going to take over the division now and we're going to do it with physicality. And we're going to like literally beat the crap out of these guys. And like, I think some dudes like I mean, and I'm buddies with Aaron, and I'm not saying this behind his back, but, like, I think Aaron Williams, like, could not handle that. Like, he was ready to kill somebody that day. Like, we had a bunch of guys that were, like, literally out there for blood. And, like, I was charged up, too. Like, I'm trying to, like, finish someone on every single play. We were just, like, we didn't have our minds right. So, basically, through my podcast, I brought – on a bunch of like personal development guys or performance coaches in sports. Cause I'm fascinated by like the mind and sports and all this. Like I had Michael Gervais come on my podcast and he said that athletes um, operate perfectly in like a five to seven intensity level, depending on who you are, because anything higher than that, you can't function properly. Anything lower than that. And you're not in the moment enough. We were like all redlining, which was a really bad recipe to where you're not making great decisions out there. Yeah, you know, that's funny. Uh, it, it reminds me, I think it was Super Bowl 23, I think, with the 49ers and the Bengals. And uh, the great Tim Crumry, who, was, uh, who wound up, I think, coaching with the Bills for a while um, as defensive line, he snapped his leg in the first quarter, and he blames the adrenaline he had uh, going into that game. And he said it was so over the top that so, now somehow he, he looks might have better than I can. Somehow that contributed to his broken leg. So it's interesting you say that. Yeah, that is. It, all right, I got time for probably one more. Awesome, Eric. Thank, thanks for doing this too, man. We appreciate it. It's, I mean, that, that's such a great point too on the adrenaline. I've heard that too. Like even these UFC, you know, MMA guys, they are like at a four or five. They're so calm where you think right. they'd be at tens. But um, but yeah, I, I won't monopolize this. If anybody else has a question. Yeah, I'll away. tell you one real quick. You know, Eric, I was, I was wondering, what's it like to eat like an old lineman in the NFL? Like, where you just pounding food all the time? And, like, how many chicken wings could you eat at a time? Or how many beers could you drink back in your prime of doing it? It's <laughs> a great question. Uh, chicken wings, I think the most I ever ate in a, uh, like one sitting was 50 at Hooters in college. And, I mean, just felt miserable. But I was generally like a, 
like a 10 and 10 guy, like get like 20 wings and some fries or whatever else. And then like 10 and 10. So I'd do like something spicy or something sweeter. Um, I mean, beer is plenty. I mean, like (laughs) to me, like light beers, you could just drink like infinity of them. Eventually you're not drinking them fast enough to get even more drunk, which is like, I, I, I'm wearing a Miller Lite ugly Christmas sweater to our party tonight that we're going to. Miller Lite just sent me and dro- actually dropped it off on the porch. That's how loyal I am to them. Uh, <laughs> but that being said, um, like if I'm having one or two, like I'll do a cocktail, an IPA or something. But like if we're if we're going all day, it's it's Miller Lite for me. Uh, I feel bad not saying Blue Light. Blue Light had been the sponsor of my last two ugly Christmas sweaters. Uh, this year Miller Lite stepped up and I didn't even get one from Blue Light. So, do they uh, supply the beer though for the Miller Lite tonight? No, but um, they they hook it up. Like we do a big summer party and they hook us up. And um, I don't I don't mind sporting their cause because they've they've hooked us up plenty. But when Blue Light would uh, send them, they would have what would they send? Four tall boys. They would send like four tall boys down. It was awesome. Yeah. Hey, Eric, be a quick, show I, for something be a show for beer that's a that's a good way to live right hey, eric I, I know you got to go but i just real quick i gotta i gotta get your uh your impressions on the you know because your story college career uh the whole brian kelly situation in notre dame walking out on his team going to lsu uh what are your thoughts on that i mean money talks and if notre dame wanted to fire him they wouldn't mind fire him before the bowl game so um, it stinks. It's part of the business. College football truly is the wild, wild west right now. I mean, these NIL deals, there's no hardly policing them at all. I just hope these kids are like withdrawing the taxes so they can pay those at the end of the year and all that. Right. But um, that being said, I thought his uh, him getting on the microphone and faking a Cajun accent, I mean, that is just classic. And I have a buddy that you could – Use some deductive reasoning. If you really tried hard enough, he played for Brian Kelly, ended up tearing his hamstring off the bone before he left for the NFL, fell to the second round, and he blames Brian Kelly for that. And I've, I haven't heard a lot of great things. He coached in Cincinnati, where I'm originally from. Haven't heard a lot of great things about him. That being said, great track record. But, I mean, there's these college coaches are going wherever they want. These TV deals are getting enormous. I mean – ACC Network just got picked up by Comcast, so then every ACC school is getting an extra $7 million a year now. And that's just the ACC. I mean, those are just – it's just getting bigger and bigger, and these coaches are going to get more and more money. And when you realize, especially in college sports, coaches and their staff truly mattered. I mean, USC will be likely, what, top five to start the year last next year with Lincoln Riley, and they would have been maybe ranked without them. And you can pay him to come. Unbelievable. Eric, wanted, that was uh, When someone said, uh, when Tomlin said, you know, I'm definitely not interested in USC. I got a plenty yeah. good job here. I, I saw someone was like, someone asked Tomlin, what do you do it for 15 mil? <laughs> exactly. Well, holy crap. That was great, Eric. Th- thanks so much for hanging out, going longer. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you have a secret, but I, like I said, every time we see, I feel like you've lost another 10 pounds. So how are you doing it? I will say this, and Derek, you asked about eating. I still can tie one on eating and drinking. So for me, I, I, I pretty much prescribe to intermittent fasting six to seven days a week. You know, at least take off 12 
hours from my last meal. So if we get Taco Bell on the way home tonight, then, you know, at least 12 hours from then, but generally 12 to 18 hours and catch a workout during that time. And then that kind of gives me the freedom to, you know, occasionally crush wings and beers or what, whatever. But, you know, and I don't beat myself up about it too much, but I also, I mean, probably 80 or 90% of the time I'm eating pretty clean. You know, okay. I'm not drinking my cal. you know, people that are sucking down Gatorades and whatever else that have a bunch of calories in them, sodas. That's an easy way to pack them on, which, I mean, I know how to pack them on because I had to try to keep weight on for so long. Now, getting the last 40 off was work, but going from 310 to 285, I got that off pretty quick. Remarkable. Great advice, man. Well, I have fun at the party and uh, thanks so much for making time. I mean, you've got a zillion things going on. So really cannot thank you enough for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks, I'll Eric. look forward to Appreciate it. Buddy. You. Awesome. Yep. Good hanging. Great questions tonight too. Thanks. Definitely.